She has been playing the harp for some years now, and when you hear her story, you may say it is just the right instrument for her. Chelsea Smarr tends to make music that fills a space but doesn't dominate the surroundings. She's an improviser mostly in her music and in her life. She is an artist's model as well and a photographer with an exhibition in Wilkes-Barre right now. And to improvise, as she does so well, alone and with others, she has to be a sensitive, receptive listener, which she is, especially in her work as a clinical psychologist. There is a striking portrait that hangs in the Guildhall Gallery in London. It's called La Girondata, and it was painted by Dante Gabriel Rossetti. The main figure is Alexa Wilding, a professional model who often posed for Rossetti, and the title is translated as The Garlanded Woman. And she is dressed in a sumptuous, deep emerald gown that sets off her gorgeous red hair. And even more delightful for our purposes, she is playing a harp, surrounded by roses and larkspur, perhaps, and monkshood, with two angels listening in. It is hard to deny that this is a beautiful painting, and Stephanie Chatfield tells us that Rossetti created the work at the end of a period of great difficulty. He'd attempted to take his own life. And yet, despite his mental troubles, his work at this time is vibrant and beautiful. It wouldn't be far-fetched to imagine that Chelsea Smarr might be rendered in her role as a professional model in a similar way, with her long red hair in one of her flowing dresses, and yes, playing her harp. In fact, that is just the way she became a photographer. She is someone who makes portraits herself and of herself. The current exhibition at the Wyoming Valley Art League is titled In Pain, In Bloom, featuring recent photographs taken, often, amidst flowers. And also, as we'll learn, a number taken when she was in great physical pain, in pain but still able to create images of beauty, as we noted with Rossetti. There's one more layer, though, and we return to the idea of play. We'll recognize, as Chelsea talks about her life and work, that she is an improviser in music, as we've learned, but she is also open to the world in its beauty and pain and suffering and joy. And she tells us now how all these threads weave together for her and how she responds to that flow. Chelsea Spar paid a visit to the WVIA studios in connection with the current exhibition at the Circle Center for the Arts in Wilkes-Barre. In Pain, in Bloom will run through April 7th, hosted by the Wyoming Valley Art League at the invitation of Allison Maslow. Chelsea Smarr tells us about her music to begin I think for me, a lot of it didn't really start until I was at least in college or even graduated from college. So it was kind of like a later thing. And 
As far as the music and art stuff goes, it was kind of something that I stumbled into, where for the music side of things, I had gone through a series of instruments before I ended up settling on the harp, which is what I've kind of stuck with for the past eight to 10 years or something like that. But before then, I tried the saxophone, and I was terrible at that. And then after that, I did guitar stuff for a while. I had a band or two that I messed around with. Somehow, I, I think it was just that I stumbled across a place in Makunji that was giving harp lessons. So it's a place called Planet Harp. And I was like, you know, let me look further into this. And at least on my mom's side of things, she found that to be a little bit more relaxing than the saxophone with me like making terrible honking noises in the house. So even if I make a mistake while I'm playing the harp, it still sounds really delicate. And it's, it's hard to make it sound bad, which is good. Now, people might just think of the angels on the clouds, but there are a number of different kinds of harps. Yeah. So I know I started on a smaller, what's called a lever harp, in the sense that it has levers on it that change for the sharps and flats. So those are the more typical folk harps or like Irish harps or things like that. And then you have the big, grand concert harps that are like usually starting around 70 or 80 or something pounds. So they're a little bit more, they're, they're certainly grand, but they're also very like heavy and quite a bit more expensive too, but very, very beautiful. And I know on my side of things, I've, I've been really lucky this year where I did end up actually buying my own like concert grand harp. So that's, I think around 75 or 80 pounds or something like that. But there, there is a bit of a funny story in how I ended up transitioning from, from music stuff into modeling. So a lot of what I ended up doing with the harp was playing for people's gallery opening shows. So I started playing at the Hazleton Art League and um, I was playing at this bar that was having an art opening. It was called Bottlenecks. And when I was there, I stumbled across this guy who was like, you know, it would be really, really cool if you're up for it. If you came and modeled for one of our classes and brought your harp with you, like if you wore a fancy dress, brought your stuff and just posed and just kind of sat for us for three hours. And I had never modeled at that point. And I was like, this sounds really interesting. So I agreed to do it. And it was such a fun experience. The instructor was just really wonderful. His name was Mark Rooney. And the crowd was so nice. And the one woman, her name was Kathy Yedlock, she did a charcoal sketch of me and my harp. And she let me keep it afterwards. And I still have it hanging on my walls. It was really special. So after that, Things sort of kept moving forward and still like doing music stuff, but also doing modeling stuff and then eventually doing like modeling stuff without the harp too. I'm so starting to work into doing figure modeling classes in different universities. So I know I've modeled at Moravian, Muhlenberg, the Pennsylvania College of Art and Design, and then the Baum School of Art, and just a bunch of really, really interesting, really cool places in the area. So things just kind of happened accidentally and sort of on a, on a random off chance, but just kept growing. Does it come naturally to one to be a model for a drawing class? Do you have to know how to shift your weight and hold and those sure. things that they need you to do? I think it's funny because you learn pretty quickly and it's kind of a little bit of a trial by fire thing because usually, I guess within the first 10 minutes of a pose or even like 15 minutes of a pose, it's pretty easy to figure out, okay, like what body part is going to fall asleep first? And like once you get like the tingly feelings in your feet and you're like, oh, okay, like I can't feel my foot anymore. This was probably not a good position to choose for a longer pose. You figure that out as far as like shifting your weight around or choosing what points are more um, weight bearing 
points to, to stick with. So it, it comes quickly, I would say, but there's also a little bit of thought and planning that goes into what am I going to do for a one minute pose versus what am I going to do if someone wants me to hold a long pose with intermittent breaks for a few hours. Do you pay attention to art history and the women mostly who were models for the great painters? Is that something? Sure. That- I think a little bit. Honestly, not as much as I wish that I did. I, I think it was last February that I had a chance to go out to the Frick Museum out in Pittsburgh. So I was there just kind of randomly and they were having this exhibition on Victorian radicals and Raphaelite painters. And I, I think of that so much with me and having like the flowing red hair and all of that stuff. And I'm like, if I could even embody a fraction of that, I wouldn't be overjoyed. This is radio. People can't see you. But you do have that (laughs) sense that you could be... I got a a lot of hair. (laughs) You do, and it's red. You could be Ophelia. You could be any of those Dante, Gabriel, Rossetti (laughs) subjects. I don't think I've mentioned this yet either, but aside aside from like the music stuff, aside from the art stuff and all of that, My main thing is that I'm a therapist. So I spend most of my day talking with people about like their families, about their relationships, about their connections with people. And I think as a result of that, usually at the end of the day or when I'm driving home and I'm making phone calls to people, I think that's something I think about a lot is just trying to be so invested in my relationships and in knowing how meaningful that is or how like negatively impactful it is for my patients when they don't have that. So yeah, just trying to be present with people, which I think can be hard when, I don't know, like you have just, as as your magnet on there says, like the dust of everyday life. And it takes energy to listen and to be present as you describe it. It's just holding that space. Maybe it's like holding that pose. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good way of wording it too. Like when you think about, you know, holding a pose and modeling versus you know, being present in a session and giving someone your full emotional response and attention in that moment that sometimes I'll catch myself when I'm at home or like I'll be talking with my mom and she'll tell me a story from her day and I kind of like zone out or I'm playing with my phone or like all of these things of trying to come back into the present. And I think about that a lot with improvisation and music and the moments where things, you know, they start out as free flowing and they'll kind of get onto a certain track. And then if it's If it's special enough in that scenario, then you can kind of drift with it and let it trail off and see where it goes versus like coming back into the present moment and trying to, I guess, more actively choose your next steps about like, where do my fingers go? Or like, when, where do I end this? Or how do I end this? Or all of these things. And it is difficult. Okay, we have, we have harp, we have playing at galleries, we have therapy. Where does the photography come in? (laughs) So... I think that probably started, I would say maybe one or two years or so once I started the figure modeling stuff. I had stumbled across a studio space that was doing probably monthly open studio days and group shoots and stuff like that. So it was run by this guy named Scott Church. So the place is Scott Church Studios. And I was invited to join them for one of their open modeling days. And I guess I had probably maybe worked with like photographers that were just friends before, but this was really different in terms of networking opportunities and having this really grand space to work in. So that one is based out of Lebanon. So it's like a little bit farther away from here. And getting to go there and collaborate with so many 
different photographers in the sense that there are like a lot of people. So like a lot of photographers, a lot of models that will go to these group shoots and and just collaborate and network and kind of see what comes out of the day. It was really interesting in letting me flex my creative muscles regarding wardrobe and regarding styles and kind of figuring out what works in front of a camera and what doesn't. What are the things that I feel like best reflect me and my image and my style and my personality or kind of like just what kind of fell flatter. And I think what I came to realize after having my picture taken by so many different people was, I I guess, again, learning more about posing and the differences between learning about what looks good on somebody else's like piece of paper with their charcoal and stuff like that versus like what actually looks good when someone sends you a digital image of yourself. So thinking about similar things regarding figure modeling, like how do you position your weight? How do you position your hands? Like if you're you know, leaning against a table and you have your hand resting on it, how do you make your elbow not look awkward? All of these kind of funny positioning sort of things. But what I, what I like about photography is that it has the sense of it's, it's a little bit more forgiving where like if somebody is drawing a picture of you and they mess up your proportions on something, there's going to be a little bit of work involved in correcting that versus photography where it's like, hey, Chelsea, move your elbow or like, take the hairband off of your wrist or take the Apple watch off of your wrist or like all of these little very fixable mistakes. But I think that after after working with so many different photographers and like seeing their editing styles and and things like that, I think it was just there would be so many moments of catching little things that I wish I would have done differently, but of course, like couldn't go back to and correct that in me getting my own camera and working with models or like even, you know, working with myself in terms of of self-portraits, I think that it's created a lot of, of open space. And it's kind of funny because if I, if I'm working with someone in a studio space, like if I'm taking pictures of them, I think there's a a weird, wiggly, little anxious part of my brain that feels like somehow rushed or feels like I have to make sure that everything is perfect because I don't want to tell them what to do too many times or something like that, where on the self-portrait side of things, if it's just me, I could do it all day. It's like, oh, hey, this leg looks weird or this strand of hair is out of place or this entire position just isn't working with the flow of the image. And I think it's easy for me to be... A critic of myself in a good way, like not in a, in a harsh way, but just to look at an image critically and know what works or what doesn't work. And I think that what I've grown to appreciate over time in learning more about different people's editing styles, I think that knowing how to edit in a way that I guess it celebrates the existence of skin texture is probably a good way that I would word that. Not having to overly edit something or overly polish it, but to more so create or just allow a natural glow to be present. There is a wonderful photo that is the image that the Wyoming Valley Art League has chosen to feature as the one for your show. The red dress one with the birds. Tell us about (laughs) how you got to the stage where you could photograph yourself in the landscape Mm. and what pleases you about that way of working. Yeah, I think that a lot of the work that I've included for this exhibition is kind of in a similar atmosphere as that. So the idea of like capturing a landscape that has these feelings that go along with it. When I think about and when I was looking at the images that I've taken over the past few years, what do I want to choose to be a part of this show? So many of the portraits that I've captured of other models 
are, you know, they're very focused on their face, very focused on their bodies. They're beautiful pictures and they're beautiful people. So like that side of things was really easy. But I think that part of what I haven't had the opportunity to do with other people as much as myself is being able to put myself in a dirtier, colder, rainy atmosphere. <laughs> things that maybe someone doesn't want to show up to in a nice pair of heels or something like that. And that picture, that that cover image is in this extremely muddy field that was right, I think it was during a rainstorm. And it was actually on, on what used to be, or or maybe currently is, the four-wheel, four-wheeler like trail or something where people will just take their quads or whatever and just go out adventuring. So when you like venture down from the parking lot, it is this absolute field of very slippery mud. But I think that part of what happened that day, I remember getting that red dress in the mail and I was just like so excited about it. And usually I'm not, how do I want to say it? I'm not a big red dress person where that feels like really loud or too, too strong, I guess, in comparison to the rest of my style. But I was like, you know what, let me, let me see what happens. Cause it was kind of in some weird way, like the dress of my dreams. So it just happened to be this muddy, murky, foggy, gross kind of day. And let me see what happens if I just kind of like run around my area and see what I could find. So I think that part of that day, so I, I live out in the Frackville area. So a lot of what's close to me is Pottsville or I'm a little bit past Hazleton um, and going like south on 81. So that day I had gone to Locust Lake State Park, which is one of my favorite spots in Barnesville. And this was a spot on what's called the Burma Road, which maybe some people have heard of. It it does tend to be where most people go for doing four-wheeler stuff in our area, which honestly I've never done. But the, the space that I stumbled across, it was just a spot where there was this really fogged in mountain in the background. And I was like, huh. I, I think that sometimes when it comes to imagery, I'm so picky with weather because I feel like sometimes certain kinds of weather can ruin it or make things just look overly muddy in a way that messes up like skin tones on camera or whatever. But in this case, it was just the idea of having the fog in the background and just having this this really like moody atmosphere that it wasn't necessarily pretty. It was kind of like the opposite of it at the time. But it was so interesting and watching the birds fly around in that area. I'm like, okay. There might be a little bit of something special going on here that maybe would show up on camera. So most of what I do, if it's just me and I'm just running around by myself, then sometimes I'll have a tripod in the back of my car. And so the way that I do it and the way that it's able to work with my camera is that it connects either with um, a little like clicky like shutter release thing or even to an app on my phone so I can kind of see what the image looks like as I'm taking it. And being able to kind of position myself in the tall grass while also making sure not to pick up any ticks along the way. <laughs> Gotta be careful about that. So just like messing around with positioning of, okay, I don't want to get too far into any tall grass where I have to worry about things crawling on me, but then still far enough in that it's more so part of the landscape. And I, I think that's sometimes my goal in a lot of the images that I capture is not just that you're looking at a pretty image, but you're looking at a part of the landscape. And when I was looking at the pictures that I was choosing to be a part of the show, I know like a lot of the pictures I have, again, like include faces or include someone looking at the camera or like you're looking at a person. But the ones that I feel like I've really enjoyed the most, and especially with this being the first time that I've made larger printouts of them, it's the feeling of looking at a landscape with someone. So like you're not just looking at a person, you're kind of being an observer with them. And I think that choosing not to include my face in the majority of that 
my goal was for it to bring out some of those feelings. Because of the way you've positioned yourself within the frame, we're with you in that way. The other thing that I noticed is the fact that there is no sense that it's a person in a field, that it's all part of the atmosphere. I'm just kind of wanting to be like an accessory to the landscape rather than the full focal point of an image, I think was kind of what I've been aiming for. In Pain, In Bloom. Tell us about the title of the show. Sure. So the title is In Bloom Slash In Pain. And it's it's a funny story, but I guess also like a little bit of a sad story. So on my side of things, something that I have dealt with for probably around the past, I don't know, six or seven or so years has been intermittent flare-ups of what for me has been chronic pain. So it's kind of happened as chronic pelvic pain, but then also some neuropathy kind of stuff. And I've been pretty lucky in the past few months where it's felt better managed, but definitely in the, in the years that most of those pictures were captured, I would say that there were points where I would describe it as more debilitating, where it wasn't as easy for me to push myself to go out and do things. And it's, so the part of it that, that I find so interesting, like the in bloom slash in pain thing, a lot of the images that I do include are definitely flower fields that are in bloom. So it's kind of a very literal interpretation of that. But I think some of it is more so the idea of being in such beautiful and immersive and perfect landscapes while also feeling like just awful inside of my body. But it sounds sad when I word it that way, but I think that part of what I've been able to gain from that is just a different way of celebrating my body and feeling more grounded inside of it that when I go to these beautiful places and I get to take these beautiful pictures and I look at them afterwards or like I look at them days or weeks or months or years later, I don't see or feel the pain that goes along with them. And I think it makes me appreciate the immersiveness of these golden glowing or moody or cloudy or whatever kind of moments that that are able to sweep, at least they sweep me away. (laughs) I don't know what everyone's else experiences with them will be. But having that as an experience that that's just mine I think that's it's felt really special to me and it's been interesting too in working as a therapist something that I've encountered I would say in the past year I work in an inpatient setting so people have to be hospitalized in the emergency room to get to me I don't know what the right word I would use for it is I guess it's more so working with people who are actively struggling and need a a bit more intensive services So I had worked with a couple people who came in all in a row who all had chronic pain stuff. And it was such a weird experience of trying to, I I don't know how to word it, like navigating my own experiences with pain while also trying to walk that path with other people. And that was really interesting. And one of the trainings that I had attended in the past few years, it was a training on something called DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. It's, It's meant for people that really struggle with distress tolerance or emotional regulation or like these other kind of topics. But one of the things that it really focuses on is the idea of what it means to build a life worth living. So talking with people about their life worth living goals, what is it that would make it worth it for you to to stick around and what makes it all worthwhile, like despite the pain, despite the, the whatever. And I think that that was something that I really started to think about after the training in terms of how I was approaching not just other people's emotions, but also like my own experiences of pain. And at that point, probably I would say within the past two to three years was when my pain was at its worst. And that was something I asked myself a lot was just what is it for me that brings me the most joy and the most sense of personal fulfillment? 
And when I look at some of those pictures that I've included in, in the exhibition, I see a little bit of it because it's like having these golden glowing moments. And one of my favorite images that I have included, it was the sunset in a poppy field, but it's in this really flowy like yellow dress. And the dress is the tiniest bit see-through where you could see the stems of the, the poppies and like the flowers that are just silhouetted in the dress. And it's, it's really... I think it's one of my favorite images of myself, but it was also one of the most beautiful sunsets that I've ever seen in my life. And when I was looking through all of the work that I've included in the show and the flower fields that I've had a chance to just kind of lurk around in <laughs> for fun, I think that those are the moments that I think of where they just add this special spice to the otherwise sometimes mundane or painful parts of just existing inside of a body that... I guess like how I worded it before is it's such a grounding experience for me to have opportunities like that to really celebrate my body, even in moments where it's not always easy to carry it with me. And I've I've kind of found that too, just like through figure modeling and just seeing other people utilize your body as a way of creating art or like beautiful things. And it's it's a really cool experience that I feel lucky to have had and lucky to have met so many wonderful people, including Alison Maslow, who's given me this wonderful opportunity that, I don't know, I feel weirdly lucky for for everything to have happened in the weird way that it has because it's unexpectedly brought so much to me. And a lot of people would be shaking their heads and saying, you're in chronic pain <laughs> and you're able to speak like that. And yet it's wonderful for people who are struggling, physically suffering or chronically affected to know you can reframe. Right, right. And again, like going back to the idea of building a life worth living stuff and all of that, when I look at the pictures that I've included, I think that one of my goals was capturing moments that are fully lived in. And even though they're, they're you know, they're landscapes where I'm looking away or whatever, I definitely felt like a lot of them are moments that have been fully lived in. There's this one where I'm in a tulip field, which is actually out in Brown Hill Farms in Tunkhannock. So not too, too far away from here, but it's this this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous tulip field that's right on a bunch of mountains. And it's this really heartbreakingly beautiful kind of space where you almost wouldn't expect it to be so close to here. You would think like this has to be in some other country or like this has to be in the Netherlands or something like that. And then to have it be less than an hour or whatever away and just being fully immersed in a space and being fully invested in that moment and just letting yourself get swept away, having this this special like stored memory that for me I could feel and it's okay if other people can't feel it it's just being able to reflect back on that and feel just as immersed in it as I was the day that it happened it's it's an experience that I've been trying to let myself have and let myself celebrate a lot more I've been reading a lot about haven't we all the drive to develop artificial intelligence but the idea of recognizing the human condition which involves suffering yeah. And being able to make meaning despite mm -hmm. that or incorporating that, acknowledging that. It's really, it's one of those moments where it's just really nice to be a human sometimes, <laughs> to have the full depth of the human experience. Chelsea Smarr, photographer, harpist, artist's model, and clinical psychotherapist, speaking about in pain, in bloom, or the reverse, in bloom, in pain. The current exhibition at the Circle Center for the Arts 
home of the Wyoming Valley Art League in Wilkes-Barre, 130 South Franklin Street, and it's in the rear, in the middle of the block. It's not on the streets. It's inside the block. The show features recent photographs by Chelsea Smarr, some of the ones she's just described, and the exhibit will run through April 7th. For more information, wyomingvalleyartleague.org, wyomingvalleyartleague.org, Chelsea Smarr, S-M-A-R-R, in pain, in bloom, or in bloom, in pain, at the Circle Center for the Arts. It's the current exhibition there, which is the home of the Wyoming Valley Art League, and that's 130 South Franklin Street, Wilkes-Barre, in the rear. It's in the middle of the block, and the show will run through April 7th. For more information, wyomingvalleyartleague.org, wyomingvalleyartleague.org.